One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and brought to you in rather unique circumstances, because I, Catherine Whitaker, am in a commentary box in Toronto, and I'm accompanied neither by David Law nor anyone, for that matter. This is going to be a solo Catherine Whitaker podcast. The good news is I will be bringing you audio from top-level tennis players, so you will have some sweet relief from the sound of my voice. But you will not, for better or worse, be hearing the sound of David Law's voice. He is on holiday. He's left me to it. He has left me alone with the podcast, alone with you listeners. So I hope uh, I do a decent job of uh, keeping the podcast going in his absence. So what's been happening then? Well, I guess it's been a slightly unusual week, but with a very familiar ending. Novak Djokovic has won an amazing 30th Masters 1000 title. That's a record. It's a fourth Rogers Cup title. That is a record too. There's records There's records everywhere you look for this man. He did it by beating Kei Nishikori 6-3, 7-5 in the final. A very similar match actually to the one they played in the Miami final earlier this year here is what the champion Djokovic made of his week here in Toronto well it's it's the process like like any other that has happened many times in my career where I would start a tournament still feeling a little bit uncomfortable on the court and finding my my rhythm and then to the end of in the end of the tournament as the tournament goes on I, I, I find that the proper comfort level with shots with the way I feel with you know mental attitude and the two best performances have, have arrived in semifinals and finals at the right moment for me. Well, that's what the man himself thought. As for me, well, I think this wasn't Djokovic's best week by a long chalk. What he's done by winning here is is prove what a mental fortress he is. That's a bit of a, a buzzword for me at the moment. But he really is because he was not playing his best tennis for most of this week. The quarterfinals against Thomas Burdick. How Burdick didn't win that first set, I don't know. He missed sitters on two of the set points he had in that first set and served a double fault on a third in the semi-finals against Gael Monfils. Yes, a rather one-sided scoreline 6-3, 6-2, but it wasn't as one-sided as that suggested. Monfils had countless chances to break the Djokovic serve and he just didn't take them. It was like Burdick and Monfils were playing the reputation of Novak Djokovic rather than the opponent they had at the other side of the court who was not playing brilliant tennis. There was a feeling for me 
that Djokovic was there for the beating this week. If only somebody could just believe in neither Burdick nor Monfils. And I suppose to a slightly lesser extent, Nishikori today, they didn't really, I don't feel, believe that they could beat the world number one. And uh, I guess that's what being world number one brings you. It's that locker room aura. It's stepping onto the court, you know, already a few games up in the mind of your opponent. Uh, and, and that carries you through your less good days. I mean, Djokovic deserves credit because he did play with incredible focus every time that he was down. And he's been asked a lot in press this week about how on earth he has that focus, how he doesn't suffer mental lapses in the way that other players seem to. You know, we've seen so much mental frailty from other players this week. You know, we saw Stan Wawrinka lose the first set yesterday to Kane Ishikori, having had four set points, and then completely drop away in the second set. 6-1, he lost it. He was awful in that second set. And there's no other explanation other than a complete mental collapse after failing to take that first set. Djokovic doesn't seem to have those. Sam Querrey matches at Wimbledon aside, he doesn't seem to have those. And it is incredible, and this is how he explains it. I guess it's it's a combination of an experience, um, playing so many times on on the big stage and the big matches, close matches, and using that experience uh, every time I get to face these particular pressure moments. And and even though it sounds like a cliche, but really being in a moment, um, trying to to. Uh, direct your attention only to what you can influence and you can influence only yourself and and trying to execute the shots um, and what's coming you know next in the best possible way for for yourself so this is sport it's important to always stay committed and, and and trust that you can play one ball more than your opponent So that's Novak Djokovic, the champion in Toronto once again. He'll now go to Rio. He's played himself into some form this week. I think had he gone to Rio playing the sort of tennis he was at the beginning of this week, he might struggle. But it's been a very useful week, I feel, for Novak Djokovic because he's going to go down there now in some kind of form. I still feel that he's beatable for somebody that believes. And Andy Murray could be that person. But it's certainly going to be an interesting tournament, I think, in Rio. As for Kei Nishikori, the man that he beat, in the final he agrees that Djokovic was a slightly different player today in the final to the one that he had been throughout the week today I think uh, he stepped it up he lays his level I think a lot from these uh, couple days a couple days ago um, he played really deep and uh, he didn't give me any like free points especially he was serving really well so I didn't have many you know chance for my return game too so that um, was really Feeling the pleasure every every game, and um, well, maybe second set, maybe I had some chance, but there was too many unforced for me, and uh, I couldn't play good tennis today. So Kei Nishikori disappointed not to have been able to play his best tennis today. It was a slightly better showing, I think, than uh, he put on in the Miami final against Djokovic. He is, I think, edging closer, as a few players are perhaps to Djokovic, but just not close enough. You know, Djokovic has that edge over. Well, everybody, uh, a huge edge over most, a slightly less big edge, I feel, over Andy Murray. It's going to be very interesting to see the next time they play, to see how much that Wimbledon win boosts Andy Murray mentally. But that is for another day. As for Toronto, well, you're probably wondering why I said it was a slightly unusual week. Well, we had some notable withdrawals ahead of the tournament. Andy Murray, the defending champion, not here. Of course, Roger Federer not here. He's not going to be anywhere uh, for the next few months. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Not a single Spaniard in the draw here in Toronto. Absolutely 
incredible. We had uh, Milos Raonic looking sensational earlier on in the week and then uh, really going out quite limply to Gael Monfils, getting out-aced in that match to Gael Monfils. So a slightly unusual week. There have been some fantastic matches, though. Some matches that haven't quite lived up to billing, but it has been intriguing. But then, as I say, you know, such a familiar ending. Djokovic so consistent. It's how he grinds out these matches, these tournaments, that is, that's the reason he has 30 Masters 1000 titles to his name. And it is incredible it is truly incredible so what else have we learned in toronto this week well of course we've learned that roger federer will take no further part in the 2016 season he's going to take more time out to rehab the knee injury he sustained earlier this year of course he had surgery for the very first time in his career on that knee keyhole surgery to repair a meniscus tear he thought it was better uh, but he obviously feels he needs more time to properly rehab it we think uh, that that was probably aggravated by the fall he had at Wimbledon though Federer himself hasn't referenced that fall uh, in any of uh, what he said about this time he's taking out look conspiracy theories abound in the press room uh, about this absence from Roger Federer whether he really will uh, come back stronger whether he really does intend to come back and uh, have a full tilt at the tour again or whether when he does come back it'll be a sort of farewell tour the like of which David uh, has said he thinks Federer might do uh, when he does decide to call it a day an Edberg style farewell tour uh, of of places he's been and enjoyed perhaps new places and of course he hasn't played the Hopman Cup for for over 10 years I, I believe it's where he first met his wife Mirka so there's lots of conspiracy theories about the fact that he's announced that he will play the Hopman Cup again I personally uh, don't give too much credence to any of them I take Federer at his word I think he does fully intend to regroup and come back whether he can come back strong stronger less strong whether he still has another grandson title in him I don't know what we do know is he's, he's going to retire without a singles Olympic gold medal to his name which is a terrible shame my feeling is that he'll probably now look back at that Athens Olympics in 2004 when he lost to Thomas Burdick an 18 year old Thomas Burdick uh, and Nicholas Massou went on to win the gold medal that year that's probably the one that got away. But yeah, just terribly sad that we won't be seeing Federer for the rest of the season. I don't believe the conspiracy theories. I think we will see him back next year. What sort of shape and form we'll see him in, I don't know. But I do think we will see him back. Now, of course, the announcement by Roger Federer led to, well, pretty much all the players being asked what they thought of the news that Federer wouldn't be taking any further part in the 2016 season. And in particular, Stan Wawrinka, of course, his countryman, his Davis Cup partner, his partner in the doubles in 2008 Olympics in Beijing when they won the gold medal. And here is what Wawrinka had to say about the sad news. Uh, we're all really sad, but I think the more difficult it's, it's probably for him. You know, it's going to be out of competition. He had a tough year already. I just wish him to, to be ready and fit for, for next season. Uh, for sure, we're going to miss him on the tour, uh, the player, uh, the tournaments, but uh, especially the final. So he's uh, so great for the, for the tennis. So we all hope that he can come back uh, strong next year. So Stan Wawrinka there really reflecting 
well, the thoughts of the whole tennis world about uh, the loss of Roger Federer from the rest of the season. Of course, he was also asked about his plans now for playing doubles in Rio. Of course, he and Roger Federer won the doubles gold together in Beijing in 2008. So with Roger Federer out, does he have any plans to team up with anyone else in the men's doubles in Rio? For me, uh, even before, I wasn't 100% sure that we were playing with Roger the doubles. We put us on the list just to have the choice and do it last minute. So, so I don't think I'm going to try to play doubles anyway. So no men's doubles for Stamford Rinker at the Olympics then. How about the mixed? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think uh, I... I, I want to focus really on the singles. As, again, as I say, I'm, I'm not as young anymore. Uh, it's a tough summer also, and uh, it's a tough schedule to, to do, but uh, I really want to go there and try to do everything possible for the singles. No mixed either then. Stanford Rinker wants to focus on winning, well, I'm sure he's hoping to win singles gold for Switzerland. Uh, Dan and Rio says he's too old to play uh, two events or three events, wants to focus on the singles. Understandable, I think. Where that leaves Martina Hingis, uh, I don't know. She now, I would presume, won't be able to enter the mixed doubles. The mixed doubles uh, teams haven't been announced, but I'm not sure there's anyone left for her to play with. Uh, and in Bencic's absence, I believe she'll be playing women's doubles with Tamer Bashinsky. But obviously with her not entering the singles, not being able to play the mixed is a pretty big deal for her. But she does still have hope in the women's doubles. Just one final side note while we're on the subject of Olympic doubles in Rio. We have just heard today, uh, Just I saw this just an hour or two before recording, that the Bryan brothers have announced that they won't be going down to Rio. They've cited Zika, as has Milos Raonic, Thomas Burdick, plenty of others that have pulled out. They've said they just don't want to take the risk at this stage in their careers and, and their lives. And uh, of course, they are the defending gold medalists from London, so it'll be sad not to see them there. But it is further evidence, I think, that Olympic gold for a lot of people, it's sort of a box ticking exercise. You know, it's something they want to get in their locker. They do cover it. It does have value. But once you've got it, I think potentially, unlike with Grand Slams, the incentive to, to get more of them sort of ebbs away a little bit. Not for Andy Murray, evidently, but I think for some people that can be the case. Anyway, back to Toronto. A few other bits and bobs to clear up and to talk about because it was a good week for Grigor Dimitrov. A mass, first whilst as 1,000 uh, quarter final since Madrid of last year. He seemed to be playing, uh, for my money, with a lot more conviction and purpose, certainly with a lot more confidence. He got a great win over Ivo Karlovic in the round of 16. Karlovic, of course, on a great run, finalist in Washington last week, won in Newport the week before he beat him, Dimitrov, in straight sets without even needing a tie break. Very impressive stuff. He came up short against the consistency of Nishikori in the quarterfinals. But for me, the early signs, as sceptical as I was in last week's podcast, the early signs for his relationship with Danny Velvedu are good. He's certainly experiencing that bounce that we sometimes see uh, when when uh, players and coaches initially team up. And I spoke to him earlier in the week after that Karlovic win, and he certainly didn't think the good results he was experiencing immediately after teaming up with Valverde, where uh, he didn't think that was a coincidence. I know Danny since a long time, and uh, I mean, we always kept a good contact, I think, uh, throughout the years, and... You know, it was, it was a great time for us to, I think, to team up, and uh, I feel he can he can help me a lot, not only on the court, but just with a, with a lot of structure, with uh, with let's say with my activities off the court or the way I've been practicing, the way the way I'm structuring my points, just everything overall. So uh, so far things are well, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Just take one match at a time and uh, and try to improve, and I think that's the best thing in tennis because you can always improve. 
So positive signs then for Grigor Dimitrov and Danny Velvody going forward. A few other things uh, to mention from the week in Toronto. Denis Shapovalov for one. 17-year-old Canadian Denis Shapovalov. You may have seen him at Wimbledon where he won the junior title. If you didn't, if you didn't see him this week in Toronto, just keep your eyes open for him. I don't know whether he'll perhaps get a, a wild card into qualifying at the US Open. If not, he'll certainly be playing the juniors event there. He is going to be a star of the future. I feel sure of that. He beat Nick Kyrgios here on the opening night in round one. Amazingly, he asked to play on centre court. He went to the tournament organisers. He asked to be on centre court. He said he likes to impress people. He is completely ready for the big stage. Not in a precocious, annoying way. Just a guy that is clearly ready, you know, to take on the mantle of being the top player. Being a top player, he's got, he's got the full package. His one-handed backhand is to die for it's Vavrinka-esque I know those are big words but really take a look at it it's fantastic he's already got an incredible serve uh, as I say for a 17 year old only turned 17 in March so he's still got a lot of developing to do I think physically uh, he's a bit further down the line than perhaps Zverev is I know Zverev's a very particular body type you know six foot six it is going to take him a bit longer to develop but Shapovalov yes he's got some developing to do but for for just having turned 17 he's he's a long way down the road I, uh, he's away off the finished article but he's closer than an awful lot of other people are at 17 Milos Raonic has been singing his praises everyone frankly has been singing his praises he is really really exciting here he is talking after that incredible first round victory over Nick Kyrgios Nick is an incredible tennis player you know, he's top 20 in the world, maybe even future number one in the world. Uh, so obviously I didn't expect to win, and, but I'm just going to go fight for every point. And that's what I did. And the outcome was very good today. So that 17-year-old Denis Shapovalov of Canada then reminding us that the future of tennis is very, very bright. And it was very welcome because actually uh, the more talked about crop of next generation players, the Zverevs, Choriches, Taylor Fritzes, they came up a little bit short in the early rounds uh, here in Toronto. Chorich, the only one to get a win. And then he was a bit disappointing against Thomas Burdick in the second round. So great Really, really great. So exciting to see Shapovalov come through. And I do hope, you know, I know I know there's it, there are pitfalls to giving these really, really young players too many wildcards and opportunities too early. But, you know, I think if he got a, a, a wildcard into qualies at US Open, that could be exciting. You know, give him the chance to qualify if he earns it. Then, uh, then great. Good luck to him. So uh, I hope to see more of him very, very soon. I think that just about rounds things up in Toronto. There's only so much of a Catherine Whitaker monologue uh, that listeners can take. A word on Montreal, where, of course, uh, the WTA have been having a Premier 5 event. I haven't been over in Montreal. I've been in Toronto. That's why I've been focusing on Toronto. But there have been some interesting things going on. I've been trying to catch glimpses of it on the screens here when I can. We've had Simona Halep winning today against Madison Keys in the final. 7-6, 6-3, good match for the final. Simona Hallett really seeming to feel a boost from having Darren Cahill on board in her team. A great week for Madison Keys ahead of the US Open. Undoubtedly Hallett, of course, one of the players that won't be going down to Rio. So she'll now uh, be prepping for the US Open. I think she'll play Cincinnati ahead of that. Whether we'll see her anywhere else I don't know. Madison Keys, they will be going down to Rio. So an interesting women's event. Of course, the story of the tournament, really, aside from Halep winning, was Christina Kucheva uh, from Slovakia, uh, a qualifier that came through the draw, 
beat Jeannie Bouchard, ended Joe Conta's hopes uh, in the quarterfinals of becoming a top 10 player. Joe Conta may still do that in the weeks to come, but she had a match against Christina Kucheva uh, to get into the top 10. And unfortunately, she came up rather short in that one. Kucheva eventually fell to Madison Keys, but an incredible breakthrough story from her this week. So uh, lots of uh, excitement over in Montreal, despite the fact that, of course, Serena Williams pulled out at the last minute. Uh, Garbina Muguruza were pulled out just ahead of her first round match. She was suffering from uh, gastroenteritis or some kind of uh, stomach issue. So a real shame, but a great tournament nonetheless. I think, I think that's probably a wrap from me. You'll all be glad to hear that David Law will be back from holidays next week. I'll be back too. Uh, I'll be back in the UK and uh, we look forward to speaking to you then. Oh, 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 oh,